I'd like to read a portion of a story. Then they read again in another part of the records of the house, where it was shown how willing their Lord was to receive into his favor any, even any, though they might in time past had offered great affronts to his person and proceedings. Here also were several other histories of many other famous things, of all which Christian had a view, as of things both ancient and modern, together with prophecies and predictions of things that have their certain accomplishment, both to the dread and amazement of enemies and the comfort and solace, solace of pilgrims. The next day they took him and had him into the armory, where they showed him all the manner of furniture, which their Lord had provided for pilgrims, as sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer and shoes that would not wear out. And there was here enough to harness out as many men for the service of their Lord, as there be stars in heaven for multitudes. So many of you may recognize that from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I personally love the names that John Bunyan uses in this story, names for sin and redemption, uh, for the Trinity, the Old and New Testament. Yet this is a story, a children's story, as some might say. It's up there with many other great stories, uh, but what can these types of stories do for us in reality? How can they actually help us with our struggles at home, our physical pains or emotional stresses? Many people, I believe, respond and reflect uh, on Scripture in the same manner. We may recognize an excerpt or a passage, and we appreciate the thought or the sentiment behind it, but it doesn't seem very useful for us when we're actually frustrated with sicknesses or broken relationships or trying to face the injustice we see in, in news or around the world. So what we ask, what can these Scripture stories do for us uh, when we're at our wit's end, let alone when we're considering something as deep as uh, the end times altogether. I find that many people simply just choose not to think about these things. And the truth is that the greatest story we have in the Bible does everything for us in the face of these questions. Likewise, any story and any life that reflects uh, the Bible encourages, all, encourages us all the same. So while this passage we're about to read... Uh, might seem like a Sunday school lesson. It is, in fact, a lesson for all of us when we reach the end of our wits, uh, or for when we consider uh, the end times, even. So please join me uh, as I read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, and consider, in light of all of God's scriptural promises, that we can fight the darkness which we cannot see or even understand by, drawing, by donning scripture like a soldier. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This passage falls at the end of Paul's epistle to uh, Ephesus. Uh, you'd think I would learn uh, to choose passages at the beginning of a letter so I don't have to try to recap everything. Um, but I was led to this passage after preaching from Psalm 91 last week. Uh, they're both very different in form and content, uh, as well as even the main truth. Yet they share analogies and perspectives, as well as the overarching truth of the gospel. Uh, believe it or not, the recent scholarship actually debates Paul's penmanship of this letter. Uh, this is due to a variety of factors, including ancient manuscripts excluding the, the title Ephesus. Uh, also, it lacks Paul's personal connections at both the beginning uh, and somewhat the end. And then there are unique phrases that don't appear in some of Paul's other epistles. However, this is only recent uh, scholarship, and there's still a strong argument that this was actually a general letter, essentially a letter written to be circulated amongst many churches in Asia. Uh, and I, I believe this argument still stands today. So in order to understand the setting of Ephesus and, and what we believe uh, Paul wrote from prison, uh, we look no further than Acts 19. I'll read a... a a portion of it and skip uh, to another portion of Acts 19, but I'll start in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And the chapter goes on to describe how Paul uh, preached and taught in the synagogue there, or, or likely more than one synagogue, as well as dealt with confrontations uh, for approximately two years. Uh, and it continues uh, at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even a handkerchief or aprons that had touched his skin carried away the sickness, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. See, many tried to claim uh, the same power as Paul. You see how they were trying to claim the same gospel message from John the Baptist, but they they did not understand. They had not been given the true, the true gospel. And they did the same uh, as Paul did these amazing miracles uh, through the power of Christ. But they did so out of selfish ambition. Perhaps like many uh, tried to claim Psalm 91 and its promises out of selfish ambition that we looked at last week. They didn't look towards our eternal call uh, in life or look to the example that Jesus uh, is in that psalm and is for our word today. In fact, they did not consider uh, how Jesus again challenged us in Matthew 
or rather challenged uh, Satan in Matthew when he was tempted to use God's word for that which is not meant to be. And when he told Satan, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the same applied for Paul as he did his ministry in Ephesus. Uh, many were trying to follow him and they did not understand or even respect uh, the gospel as it should. Pick up again in verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance, a little disturbance concerning the way, the way being uh, what Paul preached the gospel. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that only in Ephesus, not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned us away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And you see, after this, they went on to start a riot uh, for Paul and the fellow Christians in the name of Artemis, which really we see is a cover for their greed. And I think this letter, arguably written to many churches we have here for Ephesus, um, is an excellent example of what the early Christians faced uh, in Asia. I find it quite sadly and also amazing how relatable this is to uh, America and our modern struggle with greed. Greed, I believe, is behind uh, all our gods and many gods, false gods that we have. And moreover, selfishness is really the true root of that greed. So I encourage you uh, later this week or perhaps later today to read uh, the letter to Ephesians altogether, but because uh, I can't do justice to a summary. I will just very briefly mention that uh, in his opening, he declares blessing in Christ. He declares thanksgiving for the many ways this plays out in the church. Uh, and he continues with a declaration of the gospel. And then he describes, as he does in many letters, his own encouragement uh, from prison and prays for the same encouragement for the church or any church reading this letter. And the body of the letter then focuses on uh, the unity of the church, discovering new life in Christ and what it means to be imitators of God's love. And here at the very end, we find some very practical admonitions uh, to abstain from sins, serve each other in our marriages, honor our parents, uh, and live according to the gospel in all social, social settings. So after all these things, uh, which are, are quite debatable, I might say, on how we live out Christ's life in our families and in our relationships, Paul then turns his attention to the spiritual emphasis of the gospel. So again, finally in Ephesians 10, it reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As I always like to look back to the Old Testament, this echoes so many other stories we've heard. Easily think of Joshua 1.9, in which the angel of the Lord says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. We look to many Psalms, like Psalm 46, God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Or the prophets as well, Zechariah 10, 12, it says, I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. So while we often consider these spiritual quotes, um, they are in fact set in very real circumstances, such as Joshua preparing to wage war in Canaan, David following 
uh, his coronation uh, as king in God's will. And then Israel uh, and Zechariah rebuilding after the exile. So they all have a spiritual bent, but a very real application. This verse also echoes many applications uh, in the stories. We, we read in Romans 8, as Paul applies, I believe, some of this encouragement to have strength in the Lord. He says in Romans 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In an even more personal note, Paul gives the same type of encouragement in 2 Timothy 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And again, I just encourage you to reflect on the, the idea of these spiritually leaning quotations, these verses that we look at uh, and think about, how very real they are for other Christians around the world, uh, and how very real they can be for us as we are trying to grow in discipleship. See, our God is a powerful God, uh, a concept that is well worth repeating in our everyday life, as well as considering of the spiritual battle we face at large. Thus, in light of this, Paul continues, and he says, Put on the, ar the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in, of evil in the heavenly places. There's a lot packed into this one sentence. In fact, Paul's sentences in, in Ephesians are very lengthy and very challenging. But I just ask you to consider uh, just the summary that... There are countless stories of evil in Scripture. The first deceit of Satan in Genesis uh, attempted to convince man, attempted to convince Adam and Eve that they could be like God. The first murder was between brothers. The first sexual immorality was with multiple women. And the first social corruption is what led God to flood the earth uh, and start anew. This no doubt repeats itself in our own lives today and what we see. What we know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, from Israel through the judges, kings, and prophets. Uh, we live in a world that seems easily explainable by logic and science, but we struggle with all the same evils that are in these stories. One commentary I read noted how so many ancient writings uh, or military speeches, similar to our text here, uh, that come from the Greeks and Romans, actually downplay the enemy and describe them as mere flesh and blood. Uh, a famous Athenian soldier told his soldiers before battle at one point, since we are about to fight, let us not, let us not in any event think that we are engaging the enemy's gods, but men who have blood and flesh and who have shared the same nature as we do. Yet Paul, at the end of this letter, he comes out and says exactly the opposite. He says, we wrestle against an enemy that seemingly rules us, that rules over our bodies, that's superior to our minds, that's beyond even earthly comprehension. It's hard to consider uh, many, it's not hard to consider that many modern writings and speeches that we see in our society today also downplay the disunity we face 
or the impossibility of new life in Christ. They downplay the purity of true love or the temptations uh, that face our families and face us in society. And so I encourage you, when you read this, that you think of how Paul uh, tells us not to downplay that, to recognize the evil for what it is, to recognize the power that it holds over our life, uh, and turn to Scripture and turn to God to face that. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore, or uh, some translations may say, Henceforth, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flames all flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and put on the sword and, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I opened with that excerpt from Paul Bunyan because I love the imagination that God inspires in books, and he inspires the same in scripture passages like the one we're looking at today. Again, this might remind you of something you learned in, in a Sunday school lesson, but it's deeply rooted in scripture. And it's deeply rooted in the imagination that God has given to us and all of the writers of Scripture. The first and last ones, uh, the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, are quite unique to Paul. Uh, in fact, Isaiah 5.11 actually describes the belt uh, of righteousness and faithfulness, uh, combining a couple of Paul's uses here. Uh, but again, there's this creative inspiration that God uh, gives, and also just the foundation of Scripture that he, he leads Paul to as well. There are many more examples uh, we can draw from uh, the Psalms and, and arguably the Pentateuch as well in, in the books of Genesis to, jo to Deuteronomy. Isaiah 59, 17 reads, he put, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. No doubt Paul was thinking of this. And again in Isaiah 52, 7, uh, we read, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. And in Psalm 91, as we looked at last week, I'll remind you, it says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And, and finally, I, I believe I find uh, the entire story of Israel in the Old Testament uh, is what really points towards the sword of the Spirit, uh, one of Paul's more unique sayings here. Uh, I actually think of, and, and I, I draw from uh, the book of Joshua, uh, another excerpt. It reads, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what, the, what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time, and then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Skipping down a few verses, it continues. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gishites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them all into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. 
the two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you the land which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. That is God leading with the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's presence uh, and leading Israel in many battles, in many moments, uh, in a very real uh, sense, as well as spiritual one. So we can continue to beg the question, though, um, with what this might look like uh, on a more individual level for us, us this morning. I think typical of our God, when we are weak, he is strong. Uh, as, as one great author says, all that is gold does not glitter. And the spiritual armor that does not seem strong, as strong as real armor uh, truly is. Consider two more stories that we can relate to in life. Uh, when David faced Goliath, it reads, Then Saul clothed David with his army, armor. He put on a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. This was no mere practical statement from David. Uh, there was very much a practical aspect that he could not fight with this. Uh, but I believe there was a spiritual aspect, as we know how, David, how God prepared David's heart, not only for this moment, for many, for many more moments to come. We read further on, David says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and, I, and took the lamb from my flock, uh, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, David did not wear armor as we might imagine. Uh, he did not wield a sword larger than Goliath's. Rather, he wore the armor of God, I believe we find in Ephesians here. He wielded the word of God uh, in speaking to Saul and even speaking to his brothers uh, and all those who were afraid of Goliath at the time. Likewise, I came across uh, in my study a wonderful example, beautiful example from Zechariah as we return to that book. It's a vision of, of Joshua, the high priest. It reads in, in Zechariah uh, 4, verse 1, I believe it was 4. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has, who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, it not this, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove all the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. In a different sense here, from David wielding the sword of the Spirit, wielding God's word, as he prepared to fight Goliath, uh, we have this vision of Joshua the high priest, and he's standing there in rags, unworthy, and, and Satan is right by his side, accusing him of his filth. And here we see, of course, God declares uh, Joshua forgiven, declares Israel in this vision as forgiven, uh, and declares that he will clothe him uh, in white. 
So as such, it appears as if he were wearing uh, the belt of truth, the belt of God's truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of, of the Spirit as well. We come no different than David or Joshua before the Lord, not in the armor of the world. We come no different than Adam and Eve, uh, naked and afraid in this world. We struggle with unity, we struggle with new life, uh, and we struggle with what it means to walk in love. I believe we strive through our marriages and our, our families and our society. Yet through communion with God, we can be soldiers of Christ. Communion being, as we close out our verses here, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To, to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance and making supplications for the saints uh, and also for Paul at the conclusion of this. So just thinking of the creative inspiration again of this passage uh, and the creative inspiration uh, that God does and I hope does in, in this very week for your lives. I came across, uh, in, in reviewing Ephesians 6, I couldn't help try to remember C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. And I didn't have time to review all of it, but I came across uh, a article that George Orwell reportedly reviewed his book approximately two years before writing 1984. He wrote, On the whole, novels are better when there are no miracles in them. Still, it is possible to think of a fairly large number of worthwhile books in which ghosts, magic, uh, second sight, angels, mermaids, and whatnot play a part. Mr. Lewis, he says in his book, uh, That Hideous Strength can be included among that number. His book describes the struggle of a little group of sane people against a nightmare that is nearly conquers the world. He is entitled to his beliefs, but I believe they weaken his story, not only because they offend the average reader's sense of probability, but because in effect they decide the issue in advance. When one is told that God and the devil are in conflict, one always knows which side is going to win. The whole drama of the struggle against evil lies in the fact that one does not have supernatural aid. I don't mean to demean George Orwell uh, as a writer, as a human being, but his critique at this point in life is very telling in contrast to Scripture, in contrast to Ephesians 6 before us. It's as if he acknowledges that the best stories are biblical in nature, and yet he also rejects these best stories because they offend our pride or our preconceived uh, desires. We don't want to uh, concede to the idea that God will be victorious, that the story is that simple and the answer is that clear. And I think we all find ourselves at this point sometimes when we're at our wit's end or when we think again about the end times altogether. We think scripture is just a children's story. What can this story do for me in the face of reality? What can it do for me in the face of the end times, the end of life? But in quite contrary, it is no mere story. It is the greatest story ever told. And it is one that we can pray all together. And so I ask you to join me in prayer and reflection on Ephesians 6 here today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... Uh, your beautiful word, for your powerful word that you've given us in Scripture. Uh, thank you for the stories uh, that extend from generation to generation, 
how you've sustained each and every word, uh, and you've sustained your truth. Thank you most of all for uh, coming to us as Jesus, living the life that we cannot live, uh, walking with us, and providing us with uh, the greatest assurance of salvation, uh, and the greatest assurance that we know uh, the end to, the, to our story, we know the end to the story of this world. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, bless the rest of this worship as we sing and, and think on what you have given us. I pray that uh, we would go forth again, uh, just inspired by the words you inspired Paul to write, uh, donning the armor uh, of, of you, donning the armor of Christ uh, each and every day, and, and taking that into consideration, not as just a child story, but as one that is, is very real uh, and very present for us. And again, in all these things that we that we may not understand, we lift them up to you, Lord. Uh, even aspects of this passage we do not cover, Lord, I just lift that up and pray that you would speak to us throughout our week and throughout our, our coming weeks, uh, that your word, again, would convict us uh, and encourage us in the same manner uh, as it does every day. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.